We're going to pick it up from Davchav Dalit Amid Aleph, the two dots, four lines into the page. So the Mishnah had ended off by saying in the case where you have these two women, these two sisters that were married to two men, and we don't know who they married. So we said if each chasen has two brothers, then what they're ideally supposed to do is that each, each chasen takes a brother, one brother does chalitza to one woman, the other brother does yibam to the other woman. And we said that's ideally what's supposed to happen. However, one of the ways to mess it up is if two brothers on one side just do chalitza to both. That's not what you're supposed to do. That causes problems. The halacha is that if you did that, then everyone just has to do chalitza. It says the Mishnah, im kodmu ve kodmu v'konsu, if after those two brothers do chalitza, then the other two brothers do yibam, they, wouldn't, they weren't supposed to do that. They weren't supposed to do that. But we'll allow it. But we won't undo the marriage. So if two brothers do chalitza and then two brothers just do yibam, they're not supposed to do that. Okay, but fine, we won't undo the marriage. Says the Gemara, Tani shila afilu kehanim. Even if these two people who did yibam are kehanim, will still allow the marriage to take place b'diavad, meaning we won't undo the marriage. Now the chidusha this is, you have two brothers marrying these two women. One of them is doing yibam, one of them is marrying a woman who just did chalitza. Now they're kehanim. The halacha is that a kohen is not allowed to marry a chalutza. So they were not supposed to do this. Okay. But Pidiyavid will allow the marriage. Why? The reason is because the Isser of Chalutza to a Koyin is an Isser de Rabbonon, and each brother, it's a suffix. You have these two brothers. The, the, two women, they just did Chalitza to both. One Chalitza was valid, one Chalitza was not valid. Then the two brothers just, both of them married those two women. So one of them is performing Yibam, and one of them is marrying a random woman who had just done Chalitza. So each brother has a suffix whether he's marrying a Chalutza. Again, the two brothers on one side did chalitza. Now, only one of them was valid, only one of them was not valid. We don't know which one, because only one, the, the, the husband was only married to one of them. In the regular case of a Kohen marrying a Jerusha, is he possible with the Yes, he loses his status while he's married to her, and we would undo the marriage. But over here, it's a suffolk. Each brother can legitimately say, you, you, you go over to me and say, oh, you married a chalitza. He's like, I don't know if I did. Chalitza was done to both these women, but only one of it was valid. Right. And then these two brothers marry them. One of them is doing Yibam, and one of them just married a woman who just did Chalitza. We don't know, because we don't know who she married. So because it's a suffix, we're not going to undo the marriage. That's the point. So because... Yes. Again, it's, it's a suffix. It's a suffix. So it says the Gemara, Afilu Kehanim, my time, Chalutza derabonani. Because the whole Isser of a Kayin to a Chalutza is only derabonan. Vesafik Chalutza loigazu berabonan, and Safik derabonan lakula. The Gemara just points out that we're saying that a Chalutza is an Isser derabonan. Is that true? Is the Isra of Chalutza to a Kayin only Dirabonon? But Tanya, doesn't the Brisa say Garusha? The Pasuk says that a Kayin is not allowed to marry a divorcee. That's the Raisa. Says the Brisa, how do I know that a Kayin is not allowed to marry a Chalutza, someone who did Chalutza? Tamla Veisha. The extra Veisha, the extra Vav and Veisha. So you see, it's the Raisa. So how could you say that Chalutza is only Dirabonon? It's Darshan from a Pasuk. So the Gemara answers, Midirabonon. The answer is the whole the whole of chalutz is only a, a rabbinic creation. I there's a pasuk. The pasuk is across machdabalma. The pasuk is just Chazal found the pasuk to 
to justify their shita, but it's not an actual source from the Torah. Therefore, Chalutz is a complete creation of Chazal, and because it's an Isidur Abonon, in this situation where each brother is marrying a woman, and it's a Suffolk, whether she's a Chalutza, we will not force them to get divorced, because Suffolk der Abonon, Lakula. Fine. New Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Mitzvah begadol liyabim. Out of all the brothers, right, let's say have four brothers, one of them has to do Yibam. Which one? So mitzvah begadol yavim. It's a mitzvah for the oldest brother to do yibum. The oldest brother that's alive should do yibum. Okay. Vim But if a younger brother jumps ahead and does yibum first, without consulting the other brothers, yoytze the mitzvah, and that's it. It's over. Fine. Now, how do I know that there's a mitzvah for the oldest brother to do yibum? And it, not all brothers. Meaning, basically what you see from our mission is two things. You see that all the brothers could do the mitzvah, right? Because if the younger one does it, it's, 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 it's yaitzah. But the, ideally, it's supposed to be done with the oldest one. What's the source? So the Gemara says, The Pasuk, when it describes the brother doing yibam, it calls him the Bechar. Bechar means the oldest. So you see, Bechar, mitzvah, mikansh, mitzvah gadli yavim. That's the source that you're supposed to do mitzvah, you're supposed to do yibam with the oldest, with the oldest brother. Now, the Gemara is going to point out, Bechar actually implies the oldest. It's, it's Labdafka oldest. It's the oldest living. The Gemara is going to point this out, that when it says Bechar, it, it doesn't really mean Bechar. It just means the oldest living, because it could be the oldest one died. right? Because if you actually go with this interpretation, literally, what happens if the oldest brother died? Then maybe there is no evil. Right. So the Gemara is going to point this out. The Gemara is going to have Psukim that imply that other brothers are el- eligible, and therefore Bechar just means the oldest living. So Vahaya Bechar, Mikan Shemitz, the Gadol, Yavim. Fine. Now that we mentioned this so we're just going to continue in the Psukim. Asher Teilet, it says that they're trying to um, continue uh, with the lineage of the son, of the brother. Pralailanis Sheni Yoledis. Asher Teilet means that you want to marry a woman in order for the woman to have a child. Pralailanis Shalei Teilet, which excludes an islandist because an islandist cannot have children. So if the woman falling to Yivam is an islandist, there is no Yivam. Before you, before you proceed you said that two brothers, one does Yibam, one does Chalitza. Remind me, how did we how did we decide which brother will do Yibam, which one will do Chalitza? The mission never said which one. It's just as long as one what brother is willing. Right. In that previous Sorry. mission, as long as one's willing to do Chalitza first, the other one can do Yibam. They never said any uh, specific uh, way to figure that out. I guess they have to figure it out amongst themselves. Well, arbitrary and yeah, other yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Asher Taylor The Pasuk says that the purpose of Yibam is to continue the inheritance the name of the brother as an inheritance. The question is, what does this mean? What does it mean? Yaakim al-Shem Achiv. That the purpose of Yibam is to continue the brother's name. There's two explanations of what this could be. What it could mean is, not literally, which means the purpose of Yibam is to continue the brother's name, meaning to continue his inheritance, his nechasim, everything crosses over from the brother that's deceased to the brother that does Yibam. Or, perhaps... Yaakam al-Shem Achiv is literal, that the mitzvah, there's a mitzvah in the Torah for you to name the baby after the brother who died. Meaning, what does it mean, Yaakam al-Shem Achiv, that the baby should be al-Shem Achiv, on the name of the brother? That could mean, just in inheritance perspective, that he's a continuation, meaning that, that all the brother, the deceased Nechassim, continue to the one who does Yibam. Or no, perhaps it means literally that the name should continue, literally the name. So it says the Gemara, Yaakim al-Shem Achiv. Is that what Tamar did? Did Tamar name her kids after no. her, the other two? No. No? There were parrots, Zarach and parrots, not Erev Oinon, no. Okay. Um, so the Gemara says, 
When it says to continue the brother's name, that's referring to the laws of inheritance, meaning that the items, the, the inheritance of the brother who's deceased, all of his property goes to the brother who does evil. That's what the Pasuk means. Or perhaps, no, maybe the Pasuk is actually saying that you have to actually name the baby after the deceased father. Meaning, Meaning that if the deceased father, the first father, the one who passed away, his name was Yosef, maybe then, then the baby has to be named after him. So maybe that's what the Pasuk is referring to. How do I know the Pasuk is purely referring to the laws of inheritance? So it says, It says over here, Awesome. And over there it says the same Lashon regarding inheritance. Just like over there it's referring to the laws of inheritance, so over here it's referring to the laws of inheritance. Then the Pasuk says, The purpose of Yibam is that his name shall not be blotted out. This excludes a Sris, meaning if the brother who passed away was born a Sris, he was born without the ability to have children, not that you know, something happened as he got older or something happened surgically, but if he was born without the ability to have children, there's no yibam in such a situation because there is no shame. He doesn't have a shame. His shame was already... Uh, meaning, the Pasuk is saying we don't want his shame to go away when he dies. The answer is his shame went away when he was born because he doesn't have the ability to have children. Okay. Amar Rava. says, In general, whenever you have a jirasha, you still have the Pashup shot of the Pasuk, the Drusha is on top of it. But says Rava, this is an example where the Drusha is completely removing the Pashup shot. I mean, the Pashup shot of the Pasuk is that when you have a baby after Yibam, you have to name him the same name. That's the Pashup shot. Al Shemachiv, Yakum Al But the name should be the same. But now we're saying as a Drusha that it doesn't literally mean the name should be the same. Rather, what it means is inheritance. And says Rava, even though generally, even though generally, even when there's a drasha, there's still the Pashim Shat. Over here, there's no Pashim Shat. I mean, there is no Pashim Shat. There's no halach in the Torah that you should name him the baby after the father. Even though that is a Pashim Shat in the Pasuk, the Pashim Shat doesn't exist in this time. The Pashim Shat is, is removed. The Gemara says, Over here, the Gzeri Shava, the drasha tells you that the Pashim Shat does not exist. Okay, meaning, but if not for the Gzeri Shava, what would you say? you would say that the Pasuk is commanding the father to name the baby after the child. To name the baby after the, fa- after the first, his brother. Now here's the problem. The Gemara just points this out. I'll say it outside and we'll see it inside. And that is that the syntax doesn't really work. It's, it says, Yokim, uh, um, um, the Pasuk says that Yokum al-Shem Ochiv. Yokum al-Shem Ochiv. If the Pasuk is commanding the father to name the baby after his brother, shouldn't it say Yokim al-Shem Ochicha? Right? It's like Yakim Alshem Achiv. Like who's the Pasuk referring to? Who's the Pasuk talking to? Is it if it's talking to Bezdin, it should say Yakim Alshem Achiv Shalmeis. If it's referring to the, the father, it should say Yakim Alshem Achicha. The Pasuk, the actual Lashon, it doesn't really work so well. Like who is it referring to? It's more just like a broader statement. Who is the Pasuk talking to? I mean, let's go with the Pashup Shad. Forget about the Xir Shad. The Pashup Shad is name the baby after the father, after the, the, the original father, the deceased brother. But who is the Pasuk talking to? Is it talking to Bezdin? The, the dicta doesn't work. Is it talking to the father? Dicta doesn't work. Who's, who's the Pasuk talking about? The Gemara just wants to go with the Havamina. Let's go into the Havamina for a second. Who is the Pasuk referring to? When it says to name the baby after the, after the original brother. Who? The, the syntax doesn't work. Let's see it inside. The Gemara says, Let's go with the Havamina. That you actually have to name the baby after the original brother. 
But Laman Kemazir Rachmana. Who is the Pasuk referring to? Who is the Pasuk talking to? Like telling them to do it. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. Let's assume it's a mitzvah in the Torah to name the baby after the original brother. Who is the Pasuk saying to? If it's talking to the new father, it should say, your brother. And if the Pasuk is referring to Bezdin, meaning that it's commanding Bezdin to name the baby after the original father, then it should say, the brother of the father. So, Yochim Hashem Achiv. It, the, the syntax doesn't work. So the Gemara says, Dilma Halkikam, this is what it means. Lebezdin the, the answer is what the Apostle could be is the Bezdin is commanded to make sure that the father names the baby. So it's not directly to the Bezdin, it's not the Bezdin naming it, and it's not the father naming it. It's the Bezdin's obligated, it's the Bezdin's responsibility to make sure. That they name the ba- they make sure that the father names the baby after the father, after the original brother. That could be the Havamin. That it's the Bezin's responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure that the father names the baby after the original brother. Okay. But again, w- w- the Xerah the, the tells you that that's not the Pshat, and there is no halacha to do this. Okay. The Gemara continues. Okay. So, we said that the Pasuk is telling you that the oldest brother has to do Yibam. Why? Because it says Bechar. So the Gemara just wants to know. Now that you're telling me that the Yibam has to be done by the oldest brother, then how do you know a younger brother could do it? Right? If the Pasuk says Bechar, maybe only the oldest can do it. How do you know that a younger brother could do Yibam bid the Right? Because the Mishnah said, if the younger brother does it, it works. How do you know that? If the Pasuk just says Bechar, maybe it's Dafka the Bechar. So the Gemara says, I'll prove it to you. There's an exemption. We, we had a whole halacha of right? That's Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, right? Reuben and Shimon. Reuben dies. Then Levi's born. And there's a discussion. And the issue is, Levi cannot do Yibam on Reuben's widow. Because right? he, was, he wasn't alive at the same time. The fact that the Torah has to say that Levi cannot do Yibam, means that Levi conceptually could do Yibam. Levi is not the oldest. He's the third brother. So the Gemara, the Gemara is saying, how do you know that a younger brother could do Yibam? Because if he, a younger brother cannot do Yibam, then what's the whole halach of Eishas Achim Shalahei Ba'ilam? Eishas Achim Shalahei means he's a younger brother. By definition, he was born after the brother died. He's the third brother living. Right? You have Reuben and Shimon. Reuben's the oldest, then Shimon, or Shimon's the oldest, then Reuben, whatever. Then Reuben dies, then Levi's born. And the Pasuk specifically says, you can't do Yivam, why? Because you weren't alive at the same time. But if not for that, you could do Yivam. He's the third brother. So, you don't have to be the oldest. I mean, the very fact that the Torah excludes he's not the oldest brother, by definition he can't be the oldest brother, because he's born posthumously from Reuben. He was born after Reuben died. So he's obviously not the oldest, and the fact that the Torah has to exclude him from doing Yibam because of a technicality that he wasn't alive at the same time, but you see evidently Yibam is conceptually possible on a younger brother. Now the Gemara just points out, why can't Levi be the oldest? What do you mean he was born afterwards? He could be the oldest on the mother's side. He could be a different mom. He's not the oldest paternally, but he could be the oldest maternally, right? He could be a different mother, right? Yosef was the oldest of Rachel. He wasn't the oldest of the Shratim. So why can't, maybe, 
maybe Eishas Achim Shalayim is referring to the oldest, but he's the oldest maternally. So the Gemara is going to answer, when it comes to Yibam, all that matters is paternal. We don't care about maternal, so it doesn't matter. It's still back. He's still not the youngest. He's still not the oldest. He's still the youngest, and yet he could do Yibam. So you see that a youngest child could do Yibam. The Gemara points out, uh, maybe this ancient Sachem in this case of Levi, Levi is the oldest maternally. The answer is, that doesn't matter. Yibam is very clearly connected to inheritance, and inheritance is all paternal, not maternal. Okay, fine. So therefore, you see that an oldest brother is supposed to do Yibam, but you see a younger brother could do Yibam. So the Gemara says, fine, maybe like this. Maybe like this. Maybe you only could do Yibam, any brother could do Yibam when the oldest brother is alive. The second the oldest brother dies, maybe no one can do Yibam. Meaning, not that Yibam has to be done by the oldest brother, but the oldest brother has to be living. Maybe when the oldest brother, meaning when the oldest brother is alive, anyone can do Yibam. When the oldest brother dies, no one can do Yibam. So, right, we, we've proven that the oldest brother should do Yibam. We've also proven that the younger brother could do Yibam. And maybe the, only bro, the younger brother could do Yibam only when the oldest brother is alive. The second the oldest brother dies, no one does Yibam. So you know the Gemara answers? It's the same answer. Which is Levi doing Yibam. That's after Reuven and Shimon died. The oldest brother is gone. And yet you still see that a Yibam would be a possibility if not for the fact that he wasn't alive at the same time. So the Gemara answers... I'm sorry, the Gemara, before we get to that, the Gemara is going to say, the Pasuk says, maybe, maybe you only do Yibam when the oldest brother is alive. The problem is, the Pasuk says you do Yibam when one of the brothers dies. Is it not referring to one of the cases which is the oldest brother dies? The Gemara says, no. No, maybe perhaps the case is where the youngest brother dies, but maybe you cannot do Yibam if the oldest brother dies. You can only do Yibam when the oldest brother is alive. So the Gemara says the same answer. Um... Uh, uh, the answer is the fact that the Torah says you don't do Yibam in such a scenario which is Levi being born after Reuben and Shimon dies then evidently Yibam is possible when the oldest brother is not alive okay, Gemara said fine alright, I have another option what's the halacha? the halacha is the halacha is that we're supposed to have the oldest brother do Yibam. But if a younger brother does it, it works. Maybe when the younger brother does it, it works. That's only true if the oldest brother dies. Meaning, maybe if the oldest brother is dead, there is Yibam, but any brother can do it. If the oldest brother is alive, maybe if a younger brother tries, it doesn't work. Meaning, I agree that the younger brother can do Yibam. And even when the oldest brother is dead. But perhaps when the oldest brother is alive, the younger brother cannot do Yibam. It has to be by the oldest. Meaning, so when the oldest brother is alive, it has to be him, and if a younger brother tries, it doesn't work. When the oldest brother is dead, that's when the younger brother can do it. Maybe that's the truth. The Gemara says, no. The says, which means all the brothers are sitting, meaning all the brothers are equal. So basically, you have these two psukim. You have the Pasuk with Bechar, which implies the oldest brother should do it. But then you have the Pasuk which says all the brothers are optional. What's the answer? How do you make them two reconcile? The answer is very simple. Mitzvah to have the oldest brother do it. But if the younger brother does it, it also works. So that's the answer. So how do I know if the younger brother does it, it works? Which means that all the brothers are equal in their opportunity. 
Although there's a mitzvah for the oldest brother to do it, if any brother does it, it works in any scenario. Okay. Now, the Gemara just says like this, one more possibility. There's like two or three more possibilities. The Gemara just wants to know, maybe when the oldest brother is alive, then we want the oldest brother to do it. But when the oldest brother is not alive, there's no Indian to try to get the oldest brother. Meaning, the Pasuk says Bechar. Bechar means oldest. How do you know there's an Indian when the oldest brother is dead, that it should be the oldest living? Right? So you have four brothers, right? The oldest son is Reuben. If Reuben's alive, he should be even. According to everybody, the Pasuk says Bechar. But we're saying in the Braisa, if Reuben dies, it should now go to Shimon. Shimon's the oldest. How do you know that? It says Bechar. How do you know? Maybe when the Bechar dies, take a lottery. Uh, rock, paper, scissors. Like, how do you know that there's an Indian to have the oldest when it's not the Bechar? So the Gemara answers, Ki Bechar. Chazal understood that the oldest brother is like the Bechar. Meaning, when the Pasuk says Bechar, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean Bechar. It means oldest living. Ma Bechar Bechur Just like the Bechar is the oldest, so too, anyone living is treated like a Bechar. The Gemara has one more possibility, which is, I get it, everyone could do Yivam. But maybe the inheritance only goes to the one who does Yivam if he's the Bechar. But if the younger brother does Yivam, he doesn't get the inheritance. The Gemara says, no, it can't be. The Pasuk specifically says the purpose of Yivam is to get the inheritance. So anyone can do it. So here's the Kasha. The Gemara ends off this discussion with this. Be nice if I had like a water cooler right here. Just, uh... No, 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 no. I'm good. The Gemara has this kasha. The kasha is like this. Why does the Pasuk say Bechar? Bechar doesn't mean Bechar. Bechar means Gadol. And he, so we thought, okay, maybe it's Bechar to the exclusion. It's not to the exclusion of anything. So what's the actual, why use the word Bechar? It doesn't mean Bechar. It means Gadol. So like, why use the word Bechar? So the Gemara says, Ela Bechar the Kari Rachmana, go to the next page, Lamai Hilchasa. So why did he use the Lashon of Bechar? You know the answer is, Ligriusa, it's to hurt him. The reason the word, use the word Bechar is just to hurt him. How so? Ma Bechar in anaitel Kiroi Kibimuchzik, Achai in anaitel Kiroi Kibimuchzik. The reason why it says the word Bechar is to teach you that the brother who does Yibam is treated like Bechar in the following way, in a negative way for him. One of the laws of a Bechar is that we know that a Bechar gets double the portion when it comes to inheritance. The Allah is, he doesn't take Kiroi Kibimuchzik. What does that mean? Roi Kibimuchzik means, very simple, the father dies on January 1st. So how do you split up the inheritance? Again, with the Bechar taking double. He gets whatever was available at the time of January 1st. Let's say two years after the father dies, there was a business deal that was in the father's name, whatever, and money comes into the family. He doesn't get double now. You get double based on at the assets at the time of death. Roy kibimuchzik. Muchzik means what you have. Roy is future, future earnings. You don't get double of future earnings. You only get what double of right now. So too says the Gemara, this older brother, this older brother only gets inheritance 
right? The older brother, the, the, the one who's doing Yibam, right? He takes over the brother's inheritance. He only takes over brother's inheritance of what's available right now. Stuff that happens later on, he's not going to get, right? Stuff that happens, right, generally, here's the rule. You have a guy, Reuben, right? Reuben's the brother. He dies childless. Who should the inheritance go to? Right? Well, who, who does, if someone dies without children, who does the inheritance go to? It goes to his father. It goes to Reuben's father. But there's a special passage that says, no, no, no. If Shimon does Yibam, Shimon gets it. It goes to Shimon, because the whole point of Yibam is it. But if five years later, money falls to Reuven, you know, whatever, you know, the money goes, for whatever reason, it was bonds or whatever it was, money goes to Reuven. Shimon's not going to get it. It'll go to the father, whatever. It'll go to the regular channels of Yibam, uh, of so, inheritance. So the so point is, so the reason why the Pasuk calls him a Bukhar is not to help him, it's to say that he's limited in his earnings, just like a Bukhar only gets double from what's right now, he doesn't get from future assets, so too he doesn't get inheritance of future assets. He gets the same as everybody else, which is it goes to the father. If the father's not alive, then it gets split amongst the brothers. He's not going to get it exclusively unless what was liquid at the time. You understand? The inheritance is about the Reuben died, but it goes to the future son. So... What is that? Hold on. I'm going back to basics. Sorry, Ruben dies. Yeah. Recording in progress. Inheritance or the future son that Shimon's going to have will be So. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about Yibam or you're talking about a regular inheritance? So Ruben dies without children. Right. The money should go to his father. Right. But it goes to whoever does Yibam. Shimon, yeah. Well yeah, yeah, well, yeah, conceptually, but, but the point is, but th- that's where it ends. Meaning, but once... Um, right, those future stocks have got sold and made a profit later on, Shimon's not getting it to give to the kid. Well, no, he, it'll be split up amongst all the brothers. Meaning, if future money, if that Ruvain who died and Shimon did Yibam, ten years later, a thousand dollars goes to him, it's not going to go straight to Shimon. He'll take a share like any other brother. Meaning it's split up in the normal process of inheritance. So he's called Bukhar to limit him. To say just like a Bukhar doesn't just get double forever. He gets double of the assets available upon death. So too, this one who's doing Yibam, he gets assets upon death. What happens later, it'll go through the regular channels of inheritance. Huh? And that's... That, and that's the definition of Kuroi Kemuchsa, or yeah. the opposite? No, no, no. Roy means future assets. Muchsak means what you have right now. So, a Bechar, a Bechar doesn't take double of the Roy, uh, of the future Kibbe Muchsak, like he does of the stuff that he is all on to. Roy Kemuchsak is what you have now. Eina, and we we're saying a Bechar. is what you have now. Roy is what you will get. So, Eina Noitel Roy Kemuchsak. A, a Bechar does not get double of the Roy like he does the Mochzik. He only gets double of the Mochzik, oh, not the Roy. Got it. All right. Thank you. Oh, yeah? That's the assets get at that point they're frozen. Like the, froze, the assets are like frozen upon death. Yeah. Okay, that was it. Now, the next mission is fascinating. Um, it's actually very interesting. And that is, okay, it's completely unrelated to Yivam. You're going to like, yeah, yeah, he's cheering. So it says in the mission, Hanitan al it's actually very interesting. This has many halachic ramifications. Hanitan al Let's say you have a guy 
who there's rumors, rumors, there's no witnesses, but there's rumors that he lived with a non-Jewish woman. There's rumors that they're dating. Vinishtachra, she's a non-Jewish slave woman, and then she becomes free, and she becomes Jewish, she converts. Or you have this or easier case. You have a guy and a girl, she's not Jewish, there's rumors that they're dating, and she converts. The halacha is, he's not allowed to marry her, halachically, lichachila, the Rambam, there's a famous hetter from the Rambam, that the Rambam implied that we should allow them nowadays because uh, they're going to they're gonna continue dating, whatever they're going to, if, if there's an option that they'll live together, not through marriage, but that's not for now. But the point is, if they go to the Rav, the Rav's like, I heard that you guys were dating before converted, and she's like, but I converted now. So the halacha is, you're not supposed to marry them together. Why? Because that'll give credence to the rumors, Right? Because if they get married, then everyone will know that they were dating and potentially doing Averis before she converted. So therefore, we don't want them to get married. If they did get married, we won't make them get divorced. Okay. Now, then the Mishnah says, But if these rumors are not about a non-Jewish woman, the rumors about an Ish. And according to one opinion in the Gemara, it's not just rumors, there are witnesses that someone lived with an Eishas Ish. The Allah is, Haitziu, and, and obviously she had to undo her marriage. The Allah is that if an Eishas Ish commits adultery, then she has to get divorced. So you have a woman who's uh, an Eishas Ish, a married woman, and because of her rumors with, rumors with Bob, she had to leave her husband. The Allah is, she's never allowed to marry Bob. And if she did... If she eventually marries Bob, we, we make them get divorced. Wait, I'm sorry, we're talking about non-Jewish now? No, this is just Jewish. This is just Stam. There are rumors, or we'll see in the Gemara, you, potentially you're not using just rumors. Names like Bob, and I'm just confused. Oh, yeah, because it's just weird for me to say about Reuben. <laughs> the truth is I can say Reuben. The point is you have a married woman who's married to Reuben, and then there's rumors or witnesses, we'll see in the Gemara, that she, as a married woman, committed adultery with Shimon. So she has to end her marriage with Ruven because adultery ends the marriage. She gets a divorce. She can never marry Shimon, the adulterer. And if she did, we force them to get divorced. Okay, now the Gemara is going to clarify under what circumstance does this apply. First of all, are there witnesses? Does it matter whether they're kids? Because I'll tell you why. If there are kids from her first marriage, it's, it's worse to make her get divorced. Why? Because if there are kids, let's say it's just a rumor. You make her get divorced because you're trying to say, like, we heard that there's a rumor that you guys committed adultery, so you guys have to get divorced. This is from the second. Now, if she had kids from the first marriage, there could, you could argue better not to get them separated. Why? Because if you make them get divorced, then you're basically saying, we think you guys committed adultery. And people are going to start questioning whether her kids from her first marriage are actually her kids from her first marriage in Imam Zerim. So the Gemara is going to clarify under what circumstance. Now before we get to the married woman, let's focus on the uh, the non-Jewish woman that converted. So the, these aren't kind of spirituality, these are just very... Practical. Very practical. We don't want you to marry, let's say the case... She's a non-Jewish woman that you were dating, or rumors were that you were dating. Then she converts. We don't want you to get married because then it's just going to feed into the rumors. No, it's just going to feed into the rumors. So the Gemara says like this. The Gemara points out, she's a non-Jewish woman that you were dating, and then she converted. How'd she convert? Who would convert such a lady? 
You don't convert someone when they're interested in marrying somebody. You have to convert for the right reason. So the Gemara points this out. The Gemara says, Hagurus miyahava. You see from the Gemara, from the Mishnah that it's a valid gerus, even though it's pretty clear she's converting for for love, not for God. So the Gemara says, Urmini, I have a contradiction. The Brisa seems to indicate that if you convert for the wrong reason, it is not a valid conversion. The Brisa says. If you have a man who converts because he wants to get married, or a woman who converts because she wants to marry a man, or you have someone who's converting for the job. Let's say this is when David Melch was in charge, so you want to be Jewish, right? There were times in history where being Jewish was a good thing uh, financially, and if you if you if someone's converting for financial reasons. Uh, he wants to serve under Shlomo Melch's kingdom. It is not a valid Geras. So our mission is definitely not like that, because our mission says it's a valid Geras, you just can't marry them. So the Gemara says, so how do you reconcile our Mishnah with Rav Nechemia? Now before we get to the answer, let's just continue Rav Nechemia's shita. So Rav Nechemia says, Rav Nechemia felt that if someone converts out of fear, this is a reference to the Kutim, the Kutim converted out of fear because there were lions attacking them and they understood that it was because they weren't Jewish in Israel. So they converted just to protect themselves. So Echager Arayis, Echager Chalaymas, if someone converts because they had dreams, that tells them. Meaning, not for the right reasons. Dreams, and it was interpreted that they have to convert. Okay, well, it was a crazy person. So the kids are they're converting not because of Torah mitzvahs, just because they feel compelled to do so, either for money, for love, for astrology, whatever it is. Or they converted the time times of Mordechai and Esther, right? The end of the Purim story, you know, when Mordechai and Esther were in charge, you, you want to be Jewish at that time because you don't want to be an enemy to the Jews because then you can get killed. So you have people who are converting out of duress. The halacha is, until they convert today. So what do you mean it's to convert today? They have to convert today? What, they can't convert 100 years ago? They have to convert like today, meaning just like right now, the Jewish people are in Golos. And anyone who converts is clearly doing it for the right reason, because it's much easier not to be Jewish. That's the type of gerim we're looking for, says Rav Nechemia. So you see Rav Nechemia holds that if you convert for the wrong reason, it's not a Yitzhak Geris. So, so what does he do with our Mishnah? So the Gemara says... Um, so the Gemara says like this. Is that Mr. Ha? Oh. So the Gemara says, The answer is, uh, just a few minutes if you don't mind. Um, the, the halacha is, we pass it not like that, meaning our Mishnah holds that it is a valid Geris. Okay, not like Rebbe Now, by the way, just practical halacha, while it is a valid Geris, no Bezdin would want to do it like That's why Bezdin does investigate and does try to find out if they're converting for love. But the point is, if they did, as long as they said they'd be Mechabal Torah Mitzvahs, and they did Mila, and they did Tvila, it's a Yitzhak Geras. That's the point. Says the Gemara, Ihachi lachilanami. Oh, so the Kash is like this. If it's a valid Geras, then why can't they get married? Right, because the Gemara assumed at first that the, the issue with getting married is that it would call into question the Geras. But now that you're telling me it's a valid Geras, then why can't they get married? The answer is, Remove any questionable doubt. Meaning, the reason why we don't want you to get married 
after the conversion is we don't want people to say that you were rumors about you that, that you were married, that you were dating at the time. Not to bring in questions to the Geras, but it's going to be more of the fact that you were dating a non-Jew. Now let's just finish up this, this point and we'll do the next Gemara fairly quickly. Um, this follows the view of Rav Nechemia. Or even l'chachila, you're not supposed to mekabel geris if we think that there's alternative motives. Even meaning, even our Mishnah feels that l'chachila, you're not supposed to mekabel geris if you think there's alternative motives. So based on this, the Mishnah says we do not mekabel geris when Mashiach comes, because everyone's going to want to convert at that time. Truth, truth is, they did not mekabel geris on a large scale during the times of David or Shlomo, because that was when the Jewish people were in charge. Because the Pasuk says that when they want to convert when I'm not there, then it's fine. Meaning, when, the, when Hashem's sort of not there during Golas, that's when you convert. But when I'm there, says Hashem, don't convert. So that's easy. Okay, now let's just finish up the daf. Now, the, this next part of the Gemara is, is, is like this. It said, if a man, um, if, a, if a woman committed adultery... Then they can never. Then he could. She can never marry the adulterer. And if she does, you have to undo the marriage. The question is, were there was that rumors that they committed adultery, or there witnesses? There's a big difference. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav Rav says the only time that we make them get divorced is if she married the adulterer, and there are witnesses that they committed adultery. So it's not just rumors that they committed adultery. We have witnesses that saw them commit adultery. So if there are witnesses that saw them commit adultery, then they're never allowed to get married, and we undo the marriage. But if it's just rumors, maybe not. That's what Rav said. Says the Gemara, um, Rav Sheshis Amina, Rav Sheshis says, when I heard Rav say this, I said to myself, Kinaim Mishach of Rav, Rav must have been sleeping when he said this, meaning, uh, it's not, uh, no, no way. Meaning, it does, you don't need witnesses. These same halachas apply just based on rumors alone. The Tanya, the Brisa says, I'll prove it to you, that again, that he's saying the halacha only applies when there are witnesses. But the problem is, it can't be. Why Ditani? The Brisa says, The Brisa says, like this, very big kids, just two minutes, very big kids. The halacha is that if she married the adulterer, we make them get divorced. That's what the Mishnah said. But says the Brisa, what if in between her first marriage and the marrying the adulterer, she marries someone else? So she gets divorced because of the, the, the adultery. Then she marries Joe gets divorced from him, then marries the adulterer, the halacha is, we let them stay married. But says the Gemara, okay, so what, what, what's the case? Hechi dami, meaning, was this rumors or witnesses? The Gemara says, hechi dami, what's the case? If there are witnesses that saw her commit adultery, then why should she be allowed to stay married? Oh, because she married someone else in between? Who cares? If there are actual witnesses, then she should forever be not allowed to marry this guy. And if she marries the adulterer and there were witnesses to the adultery, she should have to get divorced forever. So, you know, what do you see? It must be that there's no witnesses. And she's dafka allowed to stay married, meaning there's just rumors. And she's dafka allowed to stay married because she married someone in between, but if not, the halacha would be different. Meaning, you see from this b'raisa that we, the, these halachas apply based on rumors alone. Because if it was based on witnesses, then why should she be allowed to stay married to the guy? If she married someone else in between, it must be rumors. Oh, so you see the halachas apply to rumors. So the Gemara says no. The Gemara says, "Amalech Rav, who had dinavak after loy osa echad ravsike lekola yeke edim afkin leke edim loy mafkin hachi kamer avak after osa echad ravsike lekola chachil loy yechnes." You know what the answer is? The answer is if there are witnesses, we make them get divorced, and that's what Rav was saying—that we only make them get divorced if there are witnesses. If there's rumors alone, 
The halacha is lichachila, we won't allow them to do it. But the evidence it's fine. And the chiddush of that b'raisa is that if she married someone in between, we still lechachila don't want them to do it if there are rumors. So what Rob said is accurate, which is that we only force her to get divorced if there are witnesses. Aye, it's clear from this b'raisa that the laws apply to rumors. No, it's clear from the b'raisa that lechachila we don't allow you to get married if there are rumors. And even if you marry someone in between, we still don't allow you lechachila. But you only have to force her to get divorced if there are witnesses. Now let's just finish up. The Gemara says... Um, one more kasha. Again, Rob says that these halachas only apply if there are witnesses. But if rumors alone, we're not going to force you to get divorced. Meisvei, the Bray says, The halacha is, the Bray says, if it's rumors alone, we will not force you to get divorced from the adulterer. If it's rumors alone, if she has kids from the first marriage. Why? Let's think about it. You force her to get divorced from this guy. You know what that's really telling everybody? It's telling everybody she committed adultery. Right? If there are rumors, and she had kids from the first marriage, let her stay. Why? Because if you force her to get divorced, then everyone's going to say she committed adultery, like, for sure. And people are going to start questioning whether her kids are mamzerim. If there are witnesses, we force you to get divorced, because it's witnesses, nothing we could do about it. If it's rumors alone, then whether you get divorced from the adulterer, it depends on whether you have kids. If you have kids, let them stay. No kids get divorced. So what do you see, though? That's the laws of this price. You see, though, the laws apply based on rumors alone. Right? So Rob said the laws only apply if they're witnesses. You only have to get divorced if there's witnesses. It's clear from this price that you have to get divorced if there are rumors and you have no kids. So you know his answer? You know what Rob was referring to when he said you have to get divorced only when there are witnesses? When there are kids. That's what Meaning the answer is, if there's rumors alone, do you have to get divorced? Not necessarily. If you have kids, then no. No kids, then yes. Witnesses, always. So when Rob says the laws only apply to witnesses, what he meant is, if there are witnesses, you definitely have to get divorced. So says the Gemara, um, uh, uh, the answer is, Rav, when he said that it only applies to witnesses, he meant, if there are children, the only time will make you get divorced is if there are witnesses. Look at The Gemara says, how did Rav know that it's referring to a case where there are witnesses and there are children? How did he know this? So the Gemara says, The Gemara just wants to know like this. Mamish, two minutes. Rav is saying, according to this, at this point, do you have to get divorced to force her to get divorced from the adulterer? So the answer is, it depends. If there are witnesses, yes. If there are no witnesses, if there are just rumors, that if she has no kids. So, so the, both options are legitimate. So why did Rav go with witnesses? How did he know that it's talking about a case of witnesses? You want to know why? Because the Lushan says that when she got divorced from her first husband, when she committed adultery, it said, Hoitsi'uhu. Hoitsi'uhu means not get divorced. It means Bezdin forced her to get divorced. Bezdin will only force her in the first marriage. Not when she married the adulterer. The original marriage. Bezdin will only force you to get divorced if there are witnesses. If it's rumors alone, Bezdin's not going to force you to get divorced. So the, the fact that it says Haitziyu means witnesses. That's in Rav's interpretation. But we'll end with this. We had a question. Rav said that it only applies based on witnesses. The problem is there are braces that imply that implies based on rumors alone. Right? Again, when she marries this adulterer, we force her to get divorced. So Rav says that's only if there are witnesses. The problem is the Bryce implies even based on rumors. So we had different answers. Kids, no kids. You know what the answer is also? It's a machlekes. Says the Gemara. We'll end with this. 
Amarava, Masisan Kashis, I'm sorry. Iba Yisem, another answer, four lines to the bottom. Hani Masisan Rebihi. The answer is, when Rav says that you need witnesses, that's our Mishnah. Our Mishnah holds that we will only force you to get divorced from the adulterer if there are witnesses that you committed adultery. I, the Brisa, implies that the law is the same based on rumors alone. The answer is that Brisa was authored by Rebbe. Titania, Rebbe Oimer. Reichel Yaitzev Isha Chigeres Basina. It's a very strange lotion. Uh, a man comes into his house and there's a guy who sells stuff door to door. And he's in the house. And when he leaves the house, the wife is getting dressed. That's literally the lotion of the Gemara. So we all know what happened. So it says the halacha, Amar Rebbe, Hoyl Mechur Adavar. Rebbe says because this is not good, it's disgusting, meaning we know what happened, even though there's no witnesses, Teitze, she has to get divorced. Now we don't pass in this way. Uh, actually, I don't know if we pass in this way. That's actually, it's different because over there he believes. It's not the same as telling a rabbi that she committed adultery. Those halachas are different. But the point is, the guy walks into the house, there's no witnesses, but he sees the guy running out and she's getting dressed. The halacha is, says Rebbe, you have to get divorced. Based on rumors alone. So our Mishnah that says witnesses is one Tana. Either Bryce implies the same halachas apply to rumors. The answer is that's Rebbe. And the Gemara, let's finish up. Similarly, if there's spittle on the part of the bed, which implies that she was lying down, I don't know, whatever that is, there's a part of the bed where there's spittle, and it's, it's only possible if she was lying down, and you know that she wasn't lying down the night before, so it means that she was lying down, and... Um, uh, uh, again, it's another indication. Basically, if you have indication that someone committed adultery, it says Rebbe, it's enough to make you get divorced. So that's why the Brisa was following Rebbe. Our mission, it says witnesses, is following Rav. They disagree. Let's go to the next page. If let's say there are shoes overturned, meaning you walk into the house, there's a guy in your house, and the shoes are under the bed. He turned the shoes over. I guess Rashi says that when the shoes are turned over, you don't see them as well. Meaning, he's clearly, his shoes were off in your house. Says the Gemara. Yeah, they would turn it over. So, Amarav, Hoyle, Mechuradav, Teitzeh. You have to get divorced, because again, based on rumors. So the Gemara just wants to know, It sounds like the shoes are still there. If the shoes are still there, just grab the shoes, see if it's his shoes. The Gemara says, No, no, no. It means the area under the bed where shoes are kept is all disheveled. Which means the guy, when he left, he was clearly, he left, he took his shoes off in your house. And I guess, again, in that era, that was, we, we, uh, that was the way of saying strong rumors. Very interesting. All right, we'll stop here.